Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. First off, I hope everybody listening and their families are doing well with all of this coronavirus stuff. Again, I'm not going to harp on it, but it's hard not to mention it considering the climate we live in right now. But anyway, I do hope everybody's doing well, your family's doing well, that uh, people aren't going too stir-crazy. It's funny, Billy and I joked when this first came about, and I think I even mentioned on the podcast, that I, when I have time off, I rarely leave my home. I like being at home. Everything I have is here. I'm not somebody that needs to go out and socialize or, you know, hit bars or go visit with friends or whatever. I'm just not like that. But I'll tell you, it's it's getting tough because it's been three weeks now. And although obviously I do this over summer break every year, by the time I get the summer break, I'm usually so exhausted from the school year that it's like, all right, I'm ready for this, but I'm not ready for it now. I miss the kids. I miss being actually in front of a classroom. We're doing the distance learning thing now. So I'm having to kind of transfer everything that I've done over and try to make it as effective through using Google Classroom and other types of websites and format. It's, it's just been kind of crazy. And then I got my own kids that are working at home right now. And my nine-year-old who uh, I would love to just plop him in front of his stuff and be walk away and be like, all right, get that done. And then you can go play. But it's been interesting adjusting to this new way of life. And it's funny because when they first said we were going to be out of school, I'm thinking secretly, all right, well, I'm going to have a lot more tarantula time, a lot more time to get things done. And that hasn't been the case. I honestly don't want to know when to turn off sometimes. The other night, Billy and I were sitting here watching some TV show kind of in the background, and I'm overworking on doing a lesson for a reading class just because I had an idea and I wanted to get it done. So it hasn't translated into all the free time I thought I would have in some ways. In other ways, my big thing now is when I'm getting stressed out, I get up and I do some tarantula feeding, which has been great. I'll tell you, if I could have that in my classroom next year when we eventually go back, that would be amazing because it's like I, I get a little stressed out, answer some stress, stressful emails, walk over to the table, and we feed spiders for a little while. It's been awesome. But Enough of that. Anyway, I do, I really do sincerely hope people are doing well. Today's topic, the first one we're going to start off with is I'm going to post a video probably tomorrow. We're going to try to finish it today. And what I've been trying to do now is back in the day when I did something on YouTube, I didn't want to repeat it on the podcast because quite frankly, I assumed most of the people that were listening to the podcast were also watching my YouTube channel and they're going to be like, oh, this again. And obviously that doesn't hold true anymore. I have my own audience over here. So I've missed out on some cool topics to talk about because I've been avoiding them because I did them on YouTube first. Well, we're going to make sure if I cover something that I think is worth mentioning over here, we're going to do it over here as well. And then in cases where I don't think I can do it justice on the podcast, because sometimes you do need the visual component. And I will say this next one, you might want to pop over and see how I did it if you're interested in seeing what I did. Some of those I'm just going to quickly summarize and, and direct people over there. So this one would be kind of a summary. But anyway, a buddy of mine, Andrew, who I've talked to for a while now. I actually posted pictures up. I went to his home. He picked me up a Davis Penaloris when I was looking for one, which I thought was an incredibly nice gesture. And I got to go hang with his family, check out his collection. He's getting into a lot of breeding now. So I've been giving him males when I get males if he needs a, you know, has a female for it. It's just great having somebody nearby that's into the hobby and, and knows what they're doing. So anyway, I went to give him some Philippinus slings and he gifted me six Avicularia Avicularia M6 slings, gorgeous little guys, and I haven't had a Vicularia in my collection in quite a while, so really excited about these. But anyway, one of the issues a lot of people have with the Vicularia species, and that I've had with the Vicularia species, unlike some of the other arboreal species, and this is mostly, this is with slings, is the fact that they always want to go up high and make their their nests or their dens or web up their space up high. And what ends up happening is, 
when you put them into the deli cups that we usually use or the dram bottles, they usually will go up to that corner where the lid meets the edge of the container. And it, it, sometimes it doesn't even matter how much fake foliage and stuff you put in there. They go all the way up, they scrunch up in that little corner, and they start webbing in there. So what you end up with is a situation where you go to do ma perform maintenance, you go to open the top of the enclosure, and you disturb the spider each and every time. The spider can bolt out, you rip up its den. It's just a pain in the butt. And I've had this with all the avicularia I've raised. Now, I've, I have given some tricks where if you're using larger containers, one of the tricks is you put a lot of foliage in there and you put the container underneath a light. You purposely put it under a light. So what they will usually try to do is if they're in a deli cup, obviously it's transparent. The light comes right through. They usually try to hide from the light. So they'll tend to adapt to like underneath the fake foliage or underneath cork bark more readily if the light's there. And I've used this a couple times. It's worked, but sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes you're left with a situation where it's like, oh gosh, I got to go, you know, fill a water dish or I got to drop in a prey item. And now I got to worry about disturbing the spider each and every time. So anyway, a while back, I picked up an avicularia sling. This was probably about four years ago or so, I don't know, three, four years ago. And I had an idea where I basically, I was going to put it in a 32-ounce deli cup, but instead of keeping the 32-ounce deli cup the normal way where you set it on its base, I flipped the deli cup over. And I was trying to figure out a way to make it so I could put substrate in the bottom and still have it so that the spider could go up top. And it was just trying to figure it out and what I ended up doing was cutting I took two deli cups I took one of the deli cups and I cut the whole bottom off it I left maybe about half an inch three quarters of an inch of a lip on the top of the container so you'd have the top you'd have the top of the container and I'd cut the whole bottom whatever is five inches off five and a half inches off now I would take that and what you if you flip it over what you have is like a little basin for substrate so i filled that with substrate then i took the other deli cup and slid it right over the top of that so almost like when you stack deli cups when you get them when you buy a bunch of them in a sleeve they're all stacked inside each other it's using that same principle except you're cutting one of them so that it only has a base with some substrate so what i did was i took the cork bark and the fake foliage and i hot glued them on the inside of the container the one that i was using for the actual enclosure the dome so to speak and allowed the spider to go and make a nest up top wherever it wanted. And when I wanted to open it up to perform maintenance or do anything, moisten the substrate, fill the water dish, drop prey items in, all I had to do is slide the top off of the bottom, drop the prey item in, put it back on, it was done. It worked great. So I hadn't used that in a while because I haven't, a lot of the arboreal species I keep are obviously Pisletheria, Salmopias, Tapetokinias, the ones that, although they're arboreal as adults, as slings, they tend to burrow. So you wouldn't need this for those. Those guys are easy to set up. I've even set ones up in a pinch, like almost fossorially, until I got a better enclosure for them, and they do just fine. But the evicts, the majority of evicts, or the Carabina versicolor is another one. They want to go up high. So this way allowed me to, uh, allowed the spider to settle where it wanted to settle. I didn't have to stress about it. It could go wherever it wanted, and allowed me to be able to perform maintenance everything without disrupting its whole habitat every single time. So anyway, I got these six in. What I ended up doing, because they were little tiny guys, and they were in some temporary enclosures, what I ended up doing is taking the 5.5-ounce deli cup. So once you get at Walmart, the, I think they're called like snack containers or snack packs or something. You can get them there for rather cheap. And I did the same principle with that. I took one of them. I cut most of it off, left a little rim, filled that, flipped it over, filled that with dirt took the top part poked all my ventilation holes made one of the ventilation holes a little bit bigger so then I took a piece of plastic foliage snipped it off so it had a stem jammed that stem through the hole used a little hot glue on the outside to make sure it didn't go anywhere put a little sphagnum moss up top too so I made a nice little area all the way up at the top where they could go hide and build and web 
and and worked great. I mean, I have all six of them in it now. They're eating. They're they've all started webbing a little bit right up at the top. So I am posting a video of that this week. Well, this weekend. That shows exactly how we did. It's not that difficult, and I'm sure somebody's probably thought of this before. I just it was something I did a while ago, got away from because I really haven't had any boreals I've had to do this with. But now that I have a Vix again, it works. I I think it works wonderfully for them. So anyway, that'll be one we're putting up. Hopefully, the, you know maybe the explanation here. I'm sure there's some people going, oh yeah, that makes total sense. If you want to see what it looks like, it was very simple to do. You could do it without the hot glue. Although I do think the hot glue gun for those of us who've been in the hobby for a while is an important piece of equipment if you're going to be working with triangles. It just makes things so much more convenient so you just need the deli cups hot glue i used a, an old safety pin that we had used years ago when i had the hapalopus species columbia large babies we used the safety pin to poke all the holes in the containers for that so when all was said and done we were i think we did all six of them in maybe 15 20 minutes max and they're working great so the big trick with them though is and i will throw this out there it's the only real issue i've found is that when you pick them up, you have to remember you have to hold the base on because I've a couple times grabbed one and just the top comes off. So you got to be careful with that. So you got to be cognizant of the fact that the base is not attached very well. You can kind of get the click in a little bit, but overall the dome part is just kind of set on the bottom part. And the other thing is because you have the two layers, you have the enclosed, the base of it with the stem that you're putting the substrate in. And you just have to be careful when you slide the two together. There's not a spider down there. If the spider's down at the bottom, you want to be very careful putting that on. That you don't pinch its legs or body in between because they don't line up perfectly until it gets nice and snug and it's in there. So you'll see what I mean. If you do one of these, you just have to be careful. And again, you can minimize that by either making the little substrate dam walls on the bottom lower if you want. You can make you don't need a lot of substrate for an avicularia species. So you don't need to have a lot of depth to that. So that would actually help. I like to keep them a little bit larger only because it makes a firmer fit when you slide that top down. So anyway, that's one thing I'll be posting up about. But one thing I hope helps people because I do get a lot of a lot of emails from people who are confounded by the fact that they've housed their avicularia the way they're told to house avicularia and then they can't get the top of the container open because it is webbed up the top. So And it's been an issue for me too. It's something I've gone through and it's one of the reasons I tried to way back when I had the other one, try to come up with some system that would make it a little easier. So anyway, that's one thing we'll be doing. The other thing is I've been bored. And I've been doing a lot of rehouses lately, rehousings, which I love doing. And one of the things I've realized is a lot of the ones I'm rehousing now, I need a lot of substrate for. So I've been buying a lot of the BioDude substrate, which I love it. I'm, I'm going to still continue to buy it. It's just convenient, but it does get expensive. For example, I have a container that I picked up that I wanted to fill with enough substrate so that the spider would have, you know, not too much of a distance between the top of the container and the bottom. And it took almost two bags of that substrate. So that's like 20 bucks right there. That's a lot of money for dirt. And it's Especially, it's an awesome substrate. I love it, but there are times where it's just like I'm not doing anything bioactive. I don't know if I need the properties that a bioactive substrate gives me. I do love the sub. I just love the consistency. I love how it holds on the water. So it's got a lot of good things, and it's convenient. That's the big thing for me. But now that I'm trapped at home and I have some more time on my hands, one of the things I've been looking at is going back to remixing my own substrate, at least some of the time. I do have a lot of fossorials I have to work with, and although one of them, I'll, I have a smaller enclosure that I'll be using the BioDude stuff for. There's some other ones that I want to get into stuff and I don't want to go drop, you know, 90 bucks on substrate to do all these rehousing. So what I did was ordered some ingredients after looking at some of the bioactive substrates out there and some of the substrates people use and then looked at some of the stuff I used in the past, I decided to pick up my own ingredients and kind of mix my own. So what I picked up was a big bale of peat. I actually had a bale in my garage I've had for about six or seven years, and I picked up a while ago, and I, I usually add it to some stuff. I don't use it a lot by itself because it's too dusty, especially... 
you know, until you wet it down, that stuff is ridiculously dusty. However, I've noticed that the foundation for a lot of the substrates out there that people sell is peat. So we picked up a big bale of peat. I picked up a huge block of compressed cocoa fiber. I've been buying from the same company for a while now, and I'll put it in the description if I can find a link from Amazon. You can usually, if you wait, right now it's not working, obviously, because of Amazon only shipping important things and some of the stuff's not in, some of the stuff's the prices are jacked up. But usually I pick it up for about $15 for a block, and it's a huge block. And when you rehydrate it, it fills up an enormous tub. Like It's a lot of substrate, a lot more than the little bricks you'll get from Zoomed or whoever it is that produces the little ones. A lot more bang for your bucks. It was like 14 bucks there. It was 10 bucks for the peat. I bought some horticultural charcoal because I noticed the charcoal's in. I like the properties of the charcoal. It helps absorb some of the impurities and stuff. And picked up some sphagnum moss, which I believe was a it's a big bale for $20. So it should last quite a bit. And what else? I put? Oh, and a, a couple things of Scott's topsoil because I like the consistency of uh the topsoil i still want to work some of that in so anyway we've been playing with some new mixtures for substrates so what i basically did is use the peat for a base so say i start off with about four quarts of peat i added about four quarts of cocoa fiber mixed all that up then i dumped some charcoal in maybe about a cup cup and a half of that mixed that all up then i took some of the sphagnum moss i used the new zealand sphagnum moss and we used a pair of scissors and just snipped it up into smaller pieces and mixed in probably and maybe a, a half a quart, quart, probably about a quart of dry sphagnum into the mix. And then I took some topsoil and added about two quarts of topsoil. And I know they're quarts because I had the little quart mixing containers. Oh, and then there was one other ingredient I forgot, which for I think it was like six bucks, I bought a bag of white sand. And I added in about a cup of white sand or so, a cup or two of white sand. So it's it, the the proportions are not perfect it was kind of like adding it to feel but that's a general idea of what i did and then we put it into this we have this giant ziploc bag i think it's a 10 gallon ziploc bag we put all the dirt in there and i used that shook it all up mixed it all up and we used it for a couple rehousings and i really like the stuff it looks cool i do i'm using a lot of the leaf litter now in all of my enclosures i just like the way it looks overall and bioactive not bioactive i love the way the leaf litter looks so i picked up a bunch of uh, i think about five gallons of leaf litter and i've been putting that in there and overall it looks fantastic like i like it it's holding on the moisture well it seems it's we'll see how it goes one of the things i like to do when i use the substrates is not only see how long it holds on to the moisture for you know how long can i go before i have to re-add water to it but the other thing i look for is how well it absorbs water when i have to rehydrate because for example topsoil which i use for years starts off great but once it dries out if it dries out to a certain point it can be very difficult to rehydrate and a lot of times you'll pour water and it'll just mud up the top which is not particularly convenient and then peat, I've used that before. When you moisten it down, once you get it soaked, it holds on the moisture beautifully. But again, it can be difficult rehydrating it. Although somebody has a method they posted on my YouTube page. I'll have to ask how exactly he does it. But I guess he submerges the bottom of the enclosure with the peat into water and allows it to soak it up. And then take, I, I, it, it sounds, obviously it works for him and he's, he swears by it. So I believe it 100%. I just can't, I don't. Can't figure out how exactly he does it with the spider in there, but I'll have to figure out. But anyway, peat's a good substrate, but that was my issues with peat. And then cocoa fiber absorbs water beautifully, but it's fluffy and it tends to evaporate much more quickly than it does with the other substrate. So I like to mix the three to see what I get and use, you know, find the properties that I really need for the, the enclosures. Plus, it looks darn cool. Like, it looks like natural dirt. So anyway, I'll be posting that up probably in a video. Billy and I are going to go out into the garage later today when she gets back from sitting in line at Walmart. I just got a text from her a moment ago with a 
picture of the line in the in front of Walmart because they're only letting so many people in at once. Strange times. But when she gets back, we'll be recording me going through. We'll mix up some of this. But I used, for the first time yesterday, I rehoused a Formictopus cancerides, a female, and I rehoused a Formictopus green femur, and I rehoused, what was it? Oh, Pseudhopolopus species blue onto this new substrate. I did the whole nine yards with the, uh, you know, we did the, obviously the cork bark, the water, you know, all the things you need, plus the leaf litter, and I put them in there, and it just, so far so good. Of course, it's only been a day, but we'll see how that goes, and I'll keep people updated as I play around with my formula. So now, for what's going to be the majority of the podcast today, a few years back, actually it was probably about five or six years back when I was really doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff on the website, I came up with an idea of things that keepers do wrong when they get in the hobby or, or missteps that keepers make when they go into the hobby, common missteps. And I started writing the article and I don't know why. I thought it was a really good idea. For some reason, I abandoned it, never got back to it. I found it the other day when somebody asked me a question on my YouTube channel, what is the biggest issue you see or biggest misstep you see new hobbyists making? I believe it was like, I'm a new hobbyist, I'm getting in it, but I'd like to avoid some of these pitfalls that a lot of new hobbyists you know, stumble into. What do, what do you think are the, the big ones? What is the biggest? So I was like, man, I thought I covered this before. So I was about to, a lot of times I'll go over to the website, I'll pull the link and go, here, here's an article I wrote about. Well, I went over there and I found out it was in draft form. So Anyway, it got me thinking this is a good idea and something that should be covered. And I do have a lot of people, you know, I correspond with a lot of people through comments on YouTube, through emails. Over the years, lots and lots and lots of people with the same general themes coming up over and over and over again. So I figure for those of you out there that have been in the hobby for a while, that know all this stuff, maybe it'll just be a refresher course. Maybe you can do what I like to do, which keeps I like to think helps keep me humble, is remember how many times I've screwed up and done the same thing because I don't want anybody to think that I'm sitting there judging or you know chastising you. A lot, I will say the things I'm going to cover today, a lot of them are things that I did. There's one that I can tell you I didn't, and it'll be obvious when we get to it. But the majority of them we've talked about before, It's we've all been there. So it's just, I'm hoping this will be a nice little tool for somebody that's just getting into the hobby. Like, here are some things you want to think about before you, you know, start purchasing spiders and setting things up. So with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw, I'm going to do some of them today. I got a funny feeling this is going to run a little bit long and then hopefully some people will chime in with some other ones and we can create a discussion about it because these are, I'm trying to focus on the ones that I see more often than not. In other words, somebody gets new, into the hobby, they contact me. Hey, can I send you a picture of my enclosure? He, I'm having this problem with my spider. It's usually going to be one of these things, but I'm sure there's others out there that I will miss. So these are coming from my personal experience from helping people. That's not to say these are the only things people do wrong or sometimes, you know, stumble upon or stumble into when they're just getting into the hobby. So to kick it off, the first one, we're going to start right off the bat with everybody's favorite topic. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I've covered them in other podcasts, but following fake temperature, ideal temperatures and humidity requirements on care sheets they find online. That's a big one. I just had two of those this week where people freaking out because they use their ZooMed hygrometer to put it inside the enclosure and the enclosure was only showing that it was 62% humidity but the thing they read said they need 68% humidity is my tarantula going to die the other one was my apartment is a little bit cooler today and I'm freaking out for my spider it's only 72 degrees and supposedly the spider needs it 80 85 for an ideal temperature how should I heat this enclosure I think those care guides and their fake 
ideal temperatures cause more problems than probably anything out there. And I wish the gosh people would stop putting those. There's some good stuff. And, and the thing is, there's there's good ones out there that put the the humidity and temperatures. I, one that comes to mind is Mike's Basic Tarantulas, which if anybody's done research on a certain species, you've probably stumbled on his site. It's the one with the green background. He does put the temperatures and humidity on there, but I think it's more of a guideline because he also lists where they come from in the wild, and I think that's where he gets it from. But a lot of people will look at those and go, oh, God, it has to be 75 degrees. It has to be 85% humidity, where if you look at how he keeps them, that's the information you want. He'll tell you, moist corner, moist substrate, whatever it may be. So the majority of the ones out there, though, they'll tell you ideal humidities. I can't tell you how many times I've had to argue with people that – and it stinks because it puts me in a spot where I sound like some type of elitist, but ignore the temperature and humidity requirements. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I did all my research on this pet, and it says they have to be kept at this. And I have to say, listen, I've been doing this for a while. They don't need those temperatures. You're going to end up killing your spider if you keep it at 90% humidity and 90 degrees all the time. That's not a good situation. That's like a Petri dish. So the big one starting off is definitely the humidity and temperature requirements on care sheets. That's something that I will tell you flat out. It took me a while to get over that because when you start doing your research, you're going to run into a lot of these things that they look good. They're care sheets. They're telling you how to take care of your animal. You expect that they're going to be accurate. And it took me a little while during the research phase. And luckily, it was before I picked up my first spider. I think I stumbled on arachnoboids and started reading about, you know, how you don't, you don't worry about the ideal temperatures and humidity. You can do a general, you know, room temperature is fine for humidity. You're not worried about the H word. You're worried about whether they need moist substrate or dry substrate, water dishes, whatever. Luckily, I figured this out before I got any spiders, but I very easily could have just gotten right into the hobby with this misinformation, and a lot of people do. So it's not something, you know, even if you're doing your research, it's something you can still stumble upon, and it's something that can be difficult to ignore when somebody's telling you something needs to be kept at a certain humidity level something needs to be kept at a certain temperature level you take it at you know, face value and you think it's it's correct and it's tough to deprogram ourselves to recognize that's not needed i've kept i believe 120 something species now i've never worried about individual temperatures or humidity inside each of their aquariums or their cages they just you don't do that in this hobby so that would be one right off the bat another one that comes up quite a bit that I forget to talk about sometimes and that people seem to I, I just ran into again this week so it reminded me of was the changing of the substrate a lot of people are under the impression that you have to change tarantula substrate frequently I had one person that changed it weekly I'm not kidding and I could not talk her out of it I've had other people that do it monthly that's not something that's something we bring in from other pets. Tarantulas are rather clean animals overall. So generally what you're going to get is you feed them. You're going to get a little bolus that you can easily pluck out. Or if you want to get any of the material, the dirt around it, you can use a little spoon, scoop it out, and you might get some poo. And again, you can scoop out the poo and you're done. The tarantula is quite clean. It's not like a reptile or a, you know, a dog or a cat that's going to leave a big mess behind when they go to the bathroom. It's, it's relatively, it dries quickly. A lot of times they'll do it right on the cage wall, sometimes in a water dish. So they're very easy to clean and keep clean. So a lot of folks, I get people that will email and the one I got this week was, hey, I just want to ask, you know, if you might be able to figure out why my T. alba pelosum isn't eating. I picked her up two weeks ago. I fed her. She ate fine. Then I cleaned her enclosure. I gave her new substrate. And now I don't think she likes new substrate. So my response back was, wait a minute. Why did you give her a new substrate? Was something wrong? Was it moldy? Oh, no, it'd been there a week. 
So I had to explain to the person that you don't have to change them weekly, that you could probably easily go a year, and that every time you change the substrate, it's like completely rearranging their whole environment, their whole house. So it's going to take them more time to settle down and start eating again. So that's something that a lot of keepers do. I got good advice off the bat, and I was reading, I remember it was an article when I got my The Queen, and it was talking about how you really, this guy was talking about he hadn't cleaned them in years. I wouldn't go years, and it's one of the things I've mentioned before that I'm starting to lean more to the side of maybe a year. With some of the drier species, you can get away with years, but for ones that require any type of moisture dependency or that you have to add moisture to, I do think it's probably prudent to clean them at least once a year because those things can turn into like a little petri dish for bacteria and stuff because it's not like outside side where the the water comes in it washes down through the soil the soil constantly gets cleaned this is it's all sitting in a plastic bin or a glass bin and it can't go anywhere so if you have something down there food prey items that you miss or whatever boluses it can start to fester so i do think for you know ones that are moisture dependent that you have to add moisture in, you probably want to clean them once a year or so rehouse them put them in something nice you know that's what i do it's like all right new rehousing we're gonna put them in something different but uh for some of them you can go at least a year with them so you don't need to constantly keep changing the substrate that's one that you know again i I didn't, I never thought of it until I started getting emails from people. And a lot of times they don't even tell you. They say it matter of factly. Hey, I just changed your uh, substrate and I've noticed it takes you like a week after I do it every time. And so something to think about for people that are just getting into hobby. If you're listening to this, you don't need to change it all the time. Next one up is feeding. I get a lot of emails and comments from people they're talking about their tarantulas being in pre-molt for long periods of time and a lot of them telling me that they feed their tarantulas daily which is again I think one of these podcasts we're going to have to talk about the whole can you overfeed a tarantula thing because it's a topic I revisit quite a bit they have the whole power feeding idea out there which actually came from the reptile or the snake hobby where you feed an animal to get it to maturity faster so you can get it to grow more quickly and involves jacking up the heat and feeding them a lot. And a lot of folks will argue that that can decrease the life of a tarantula. I've done an article about that and we can revisit that again. But I think there's, you know, that argument aside, how much is too much or how much is too often, or I think somebody that's feeding the tarantula daily is going overboard. I've had many people over the course of the years tell me that, that, well, it's still hungry. So I keep dropping crickets in and they don't need to eat like that. In the wild, they're kind of opportunistic hunters where they're going to, you know, every once in a while, something's going to roam close enough to trigger their feeding response. They're going to grab it and eat it. And it may be a little while before something else comes around. So I think a lot of folks, what ends up happening, this is kind of a twofold or two-sided problem. First, they feed it to the point where they're feeding it daily. Then what ends up happening is a lot of species, they stop eating, they go into pre-molt, and if they fatten up rather quickly, that pre-molt can be ridiculously long. So then I get things like my T. albopelosum has buried itself for four months. I don't understand what's going on. And then usually what I'll ask is, the first question is, what size is the tarantula? A lot of times it's an, it's an adult they've picked up from a pet store or you know from a friend or whatever. And then my second question is, what was the feeding schedule? And I can't tell you how many times, well, I feed it like 12 crickets and you know twice a week, or I feed it every a couple crickets every single day and then there's where we get the breakdown and go all right well here's what's going on your spider is fattening up very quickly and then you're going to have a very long pre-malt period you want to spread out those meals a little bit so the feeding one ends up being one and again it's i don't like to call these mistakes because they're things that if you feed your tarantula like that i i mean i guess i don't 
know if there's any health issues that could be caused. It's not like a person that's going to become obese. They basically hit a certain point. They stop eating. They go into pre So I don't know if it's necessarily wrong, but it's not really the way most of us go about it. You want to spread those meals out. I've talked to some people that feed theirs every two months and they have perfectly healthy spiders. I mean, it, it, they don't need to eat as often as other animals. We need to get that out of our heads. And I think a lot of people that come in new to the hobby, that's a tough one to get the hang of. You you freak out a bit when you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't fed this thing in a week. It's going to die. No, it's not going to die. It's going to be perfectly fine. So the feeding feeding them too much is something that I think a lot of people, when they first get in, they they feed them too much. They feed them too often. And they end up with those long pre-malt periods. And then I get a lot of emails asking why their spider is broken and not eating. So that would be one that comes up quite a bit. Another one that comes up a lot is enclosure size. Now, we could have a huge discussion about enclosures, big enclosures, small enclosures, whatever it may be. But I have a lot of people... And I think it's it's about 50-50. It's half of the people that do this are just haven't done a lot of research yet. The other half are doing it out of fear. But it's the buying the tiny tarantula, dropping it in a gigantic enclosure, and then freaking out because they can't tell if it ate. They can't tell where it is. It's up in a corner. I had somebody recently that picked up a GBB and set it up in a 12 by 12 by, I think it was the taller 16-inch exo terra the the big ones obviously the big big ones it was like an inch and a half sling and they said they didn't want to have to rehouse it because they heard they could be a little bit defensive so they stuck it in this giant enclosure well what they ended up with is a small terrestrial spider that webbed up its burrow in the upper corner of this enclosure of over a foot off of the ground and so i had to try to tactfully explain that, listen, I I understand that you're afraid that this is going to be defensive when you go to rehouse it, but that's part of owning tarantulas. The part that you, you rehousings, we talk about them all the time. Some of us, and this guy over here, do a lot of rehousing videos to show people how it can be done safely and with minimal anxiety for the keeper and the spider. It's it's part of the hobby. You can't get away from that. But we get a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, that will buy little teeny spiders and put them in bigger enclosures because they're afraid to do the rehousings and then have problems afterwards. Because the idea is, and I've said this before, and this is my take on it, I get that when you get an older specimen, you can put them in a larger enclosure. They'll find their little spot. Granted, the majority of them will find a spot they like make their burrow and they won't leave that area but still you can put plants in there they might come out venture out I, I totally get it I want to get some of mine into bigger more beautiful enclosures however when slings are involved you want to put them in something that allows the sling to be able to find the food and you to be able to find your sling you want to be able to monitor your sling you also don't want to do something where you put a little terrestrial sling in something that's going to leave it precariously perched above the ground to the point where if it slips and falls it could hurt itself even I mean slings are obviously more durable and they're less prone to hurt themselves if they fall but still 12 inches for a little inch and three quarters sling or inch and a half sling that's way too high up so that's one that a lot of people do now some it comes down to and i say it's about 50 50 and i I don't i really really no numbers to back that up but it seems like a lot of people just look at they'll they'll tell me i saw these pictures of these little tiny slings and these tiny enclosures i thought that was horrible i'm going to give my guy a lot of room to roam which is a great sentiment unfortunately it's not practical and that's what it comes down to we during that sling period we have to make sure we can keep track of our slings to monitor their health to monitor the molting process to monitor that they're eating or else it's just like you're staring at a big terrarium full of dirt and plants and everything and you don't even know where your sling is that's not a good situation so that's one that pops up quite a bit 
quite a bit. I actually got one today where somebody sent me. They said that their spider was not eating. They couldn't figure it out. What's well, a little tiny spider and a giant arboreal enclosure. I think it was a Pisolotheria species, a big enclosure. And Pisolotheria is one of the ones they grow quickly and they do, they're great hunters. So they, they can kind you can get away with putting one in a larger enclosure, but this was a little overboard. So that's one thing that I wish, you know, new keepers would do a little more research into before they pick up their first spiders is the fact that with the slings and the smaller specimens, you want to be able to keep track of them. That's very important. So you want to have a smaller enclosure that allows your spider to find the food and you to find the spider. And if you're scared of your spider, if you're already to the point where you're dreading the rehousing enough that you're trying to put it in an adult enclosure so you can avoid any rehousings, that's not the spider for you at this time. I, I really, truly believe that. Part of the, the experience you need is the rehousings to be able to work with these guys. And if it's giving you that much anxiety, you need to get a spider that's not going to cause you that much anxiety. And this happens more for people that get into old worlds. I can't tell you how many folks will go, yep, I got an OBT swing. I can't wait. I got it in a 10-gallon aquarium because I'm not going to bother rehousing it because they're crazy. No, that's not how it works. Build up your, you know, practice your rehousings with the so-called beginner species or intermediate intermediate species. And then when you're prepared and you feel ready, move on to one and grow with it and do the rehousings. You have to learn how to do those. That's my, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people out there that go, oh, oh, I just take them all, drop them into an adult enclosure and that's it. Okay. That's, I, I just think part of the hobby involves those rehousings and having them in situations that best allows us to care for the spider even if it may cause a little more anxiety for us down the road. So cage size is one that pops up quite a bit. Again, with the adults, as long as they can't die from fall damage, I don't see a big deal. I've had people argue with me about this before. Mine, I'm trying, my big thing now is I'm trying to give them more room. See what happens. I do have a Pantanus that I gave a big enclosure to when it was about five inches or so, and it rarely uses the other part of the enclosure, but who cares? It's not, it's, it's secure. It's got its burrow. It does fine. I probably should put some more foliage in it and might venture out more. But again, it comes down to those smaller slings, dropping them into adult enclosures so you can avoid the rehousings. I, I don't really agree with that at all. So moving on to the next one. And for the record, I'm not doing these. There's the number one one will be obvious, and I think it kind of covers all of these, but I'm not doing these in any particular order. This isn't meant to be like a hot list or something. It's ones that I've literally, I encounter all the time, and the majority of these I've received emails or comments on this week. So the next one would be burrowing tarantulas. They burrow and slings burrow, and a lot of adults will burrow when they're in primal, and that is totally normal and totally okay, and you do not, under most circumstances, there's some caveats here. Under most circumstances, you never want to dig them up. I get that one all the time. And unfortunately, I think as much as we can warn people about it, you have to experience it. You have to go through it to have it sink in. And I say this because I read this before I got my first tarantulas. I read all about the burrowing. It's normal. They'll burrow. They won't collapse on them. They can breathe even if they cover it up. I read all the information on it. And then I got my little LP, El Parahibana sling. I put it in one of those Jamie's enclosures. It ate for me like three or four times and then it burrowed and covered itself up and I went into panic mode and I was freaking out and I remember going to Billy like, should I open this up? I I know they said it can't collapse, but I haven't seen any movement. What if it can't breathe? You're just not used to your pet burying itself in dirt and having that be normal. And it's it's tough until you go through it. So I know no matter what I say here, there's still going to be people that have this happen and freak out, completely understandable. And I was one of them. So again, I'm not judging, but the burrowing thing, I get so many. I, I would say 
25% of the emails and messages I get, the panicked emails and messages I get from keepers who are freaking out are over their spiders burrowing. No exaggeration, a huge chunk. Two today when I went to check my email that there were, hey, I haven't seen my spider in a while. Is this normal? Yes, under most circumstances, it's totally normal. Nothing to be concerned with. People will say, well, what about how can it drink? If it's a species that requires a little moisture, I would encourage you to make sure that at least, well, obviously, if it's a burrowing species or a sling, there should be moist substrate in there anyway. And you want to just make sure that doesn't dry out. If it's like a Fonapelma species or a Brachypelma or some of the larger specimen, they normally don't need moist substrate. I do like to moisten down a corner but generally speaking if they've buried themselves they've drank they're hydrated they're ready to go they're in pre-malt there's nothing you can really do at that point except wait it out so that's one that's going to continue to come up and again i'm i went through it myself it took me like three or four molt uh stages for that lp to finally start being like oh yep it's buried again who cares but and then i got another spider and that would be nikki my afonapelma calcotis i got is like a little sex she was like an inch and three quarters or so and she buried herself once for the winter and i freaked out i had my two g polker peas that did the same thing they buried and these were two tiny tiny slings buried themselves for i think it was close to six months freaked out more often than not it's totally okay the reason i say more often than not is there are situations that we found now and having spoken to more people in the hobby when you give a sling too much room to burrow sometimes what happens is they burrow they they eat they burrow down they fill up their burrow they molt but they don't come back up for prey they don't seem to sense the prey items up there and i've had this happen now with obviously the one that i did a whole video on was the P muticus where I was putting these slings or these juveniles in these really deep, like 10 inch deep containers with substrate. And they would dig all the way down, fill up their burrow, molt down there, wouldn't come up to eat. And that was an issue. And then I did have it happen with a G Kira guy or pulchra where I gave it, I think it was like four inches of substrate. It was a little teeny sling. It was eating fine. It buried itself all the way down the bottom. It molted. And like three weeks later, it hadn't eaten. And that's not usually for slings that size. They're eaten within, you know, a week or so. So I opened up the hole a little bit, put a pre-killed one on the edge. It came right up, grabbed the pre-killed and ate. So just something to keep track of. If you give them, you don't want to give your slings too much substrate that they dig so far down that they don't come back up because there is a theory that, and I think it's a pretty good one, that in the wild, a lot of these guys, if they dig down far enough, they probably find insects in the ground that they can eat so they don't have to resurface. So that's something to keep in mind. But anyway, if your sling or your adult burrows and buries itself, this is totally natural. It's putting up the do not disturb sign. Do not open up the enclosure and open up the burrow and try to stuff crickets in. That's another thing that comes off of this is people go, oh, it was burrowed. I was scared it was starving. So I opened it up and threw a cricket in. Do not throw live prey items into the burrow. Not a good idea. If you're afraid that it's in there and it still needs to eat, you can open the burrow a little bit. It'll If it doesn't want to eat, it's going to come up to mend the burrow. So it'll see a prey item if you leave it there. Pre-kill a prey item. Leave it right at the opening. If it's eating, it'll come up. It'll eat the prey item. If it's not eating, it'll go up, close up the burrow, probably curse you silently and go back down to its den and leave the prey item there. So that's a good way to tell. Do not drop living prey items inside the burrow. I get a, a lot of those like, oh, I took a superworm and I dropped it in the burrow with it. Well, you better hope it's not molting or now you probably got a, you know, an issue. So that's one that I think, again, we all need to just bottom line. There's no excuse. Do not drop live prey items into a spider's burrow that it's closed it off. Don't open up. Drop prey, prey items in there. 
And the other one is try to get over the fact that, yes, it's weird that they burrow to us. At least it's weird to us. It's normal to them. They're trying to hide. They, they don't want to be out in the open where pre, you know predators can get them while they're molting. Totally normal for them. Weird for us. But we have to get over that fear that they're somehow the, the tunnel is going to collapse. They're not going to have enough room to molt. They're not going to be able to breathe. It's all good. Just leave them alone. Let them do their thing. All right. The next one I hear a lot about, and it's unfortunate because there's animals we're dealing with. But the idea that you want to you want to do some research before you purchase your first spider to make sure that you get it from a reputable dealer. Unfortunately, purchasing live animals online can be quite pricey and expensive, especially with shipping. So unfortunately, what people end up doing is searching out the best deal possible, which makes sense on paper. And a lot of us, you know, deal shop. I was raised by somebody who taught me how to, you know, really find the deals and I still do it myself. But when animals are involved, it it should go beyond just how much money you can save. And I think it's very important that people that are looking to purchase online do their research and find reputable dealers and prepare to pay a little bit more. It, it's very frustrating. One of the spots where I have a hard time, we call it breaking character, but it's not breaking character. But when I, I try to be nice, I try to be supportive with everything. And a lot of times it comes very naturally. It's not like I'm sitting here like cursing at people behind the scenes and then going, hey, how's it going? Usually it's easy. But one of the things that frustrates me is when I try to explain to people that there's certain places you don't want to buy from. And they go, but they're really cheap. Okay. I understand that backwater reptiles is probably quite cheap. They they will have like good shipping rates. They'll have things that everybody else is selling for $60 and you'll get it for 10, but you're going to end up with abused, sickly, possibly dead animals of the wrong sex, of the wrong species. They don't care about their animals. It's disgusting. I've heard more reports over these guys over the years. I could probably fill a book with just these horror stories. And that's one of the things in the future. Again, I don't like talking about negative stuff, but it, I've received in the past couple months some truly horrific horror stories about them and, and nothing surprises me anymore. But here's the deal. Reason why companies like that exist or, and are able to still sell is because people go online and either they don't do the research to find out if this is a reputable company or they see the research and go, you know what, I'll roll the dice, which is, I'm sorry, that makes you complacent in this. If you know that they're abusing animals, that animals are being shipped in freezing conditions with no packing, some of them are being shipped in vials of dirt with no pack, like nothing in there to cushion the spider during the transit. I'm sorry, that makes you part of the problem. So I think what people need to do and need to realize is that when you decide you're going to bring one of these animals into your home, do the research. There are a lot of reputable dealers out there. I know if you go on the boards, it seems like they're all fighting all the time, but they, and they'll talk smack about each other, but there's a lot of really good ones out there. You want to make sure that if you're shipping it, it's legal. Now, one of the things that it's a tricky, it's, it's a tricky area is that some people will offer shipping through U.S. Post. It's illegal to ship tarantulas through U.S. Post. I will say that one of the arguments that comes up quite a bit is nobody's really enforcing it. And a lot of, you know, there's, theories that the U.S. Post Office knows these things are being shipped and they're not really doing anything about it because they don't care. But long and short of it, it is against the law right now. You can't ship through USPS legally. So if you're getting a shipment in there and you go to pick it up at your post office and the person asks you what it is and you say, I just purchased some tarantulas, they have every right to hold on to that package. It could get icky. So you need to make sure you're shipping it. FedEx, there's other ways, but FedEx is the most popular one now. You need to make sure that whatever whoever you're buying from has a live arrival guarantee, a lag, and that it's a good one. And ask around. Ask people. And here's the deal. Here's how I, I think a lot of folks struggle with how to 
do research into reviews and such, look up the reviews, look up the bad reviews, see how they're handled. See, everybody has a situation where something goes wrong when they're doing online commerce. You're going to have a package get lost. You're going to have an animal that arrives dead. It's how they deal with it. So if somebody says, hey, I ordered a spider, it arrived dead. I called them up. They replaced it within two days. They were happy. They were, they were polite. Those are things you look for. They go, that's a good, that's somebody I want to work with because if something goes wrong, they're going to, they're going to look out for me. They're going to look out for the spider. What you don't want to do is look for places that go, yeah, I got the spider shipped to me. It was the wrong spider, the wrong sex. It was dead. It didn't have any heat pack in it. And they told me to buzz off. You're not getting a new one. That's stuff that should immediately send up some signals that these are not people you want to deal with. That's why I, I have a hard time understanding how people are still ordering from backwater reptiles because it doesn't, I just did a search to make sure because I always call them blackwater reptiles because I think of like black market and I had to look up how to say the name correctly. But looking it up, the first thing that pops up is people saying it's a scam that they don't own the animals, they're drop shipping. I don't understand how people are falling for this except for the fact they're looking to save a buck. This isn't a hobby you want to save a buck. And I'm going to warn everybody, if this is your first podcast with me or the first thing you're listening to about the tarantula hobby, it's expensive. It's pricey. It can cost you 50 to 60 bucks to ship these spiders out. And some of the spiders are very expensive. So please know that going in that it's a pricey hobby. Now, the good thing is you can set some money aside. You can buy a couple spiders when, you know, what a lot of us do is we wait until we can afford a few of them. So it kind of breaks up the cost of shipping. So instead of paying 50 bucks for one spider we're paying 50 bucks for three spiders which makes it a little more palatable but you want to make sure that you shop around i understand shopping around for good prices but i'm telling you in this hobby when you're dealing with live animals you want good service you want people that are going to take care of you want people that are responsive that's another thing you'll get people out there you'll you'll pay your money and then you don't hear from them for a couple weeks and you tend to freak out is my animal on the way is it already sent out you want somebody that responds quickly takes care of your concerns cares about the animals. That's a big one. You want somebody that's not just doing this for a business that isn't like, oh, crud, I lost another animal. It's going to cost me money. You want somebody that's genuinely concerned about the animals. So make sure you do your research. Ask around. There are plenty of reputable dealers out there that people should be buying from and can buy from. Stay away from the ones that have the poor reviews. You Trust me, it's not worth the risk of ordering from them to end up with what may be the wrong sex, the wrong spider, or you may just get a box with a dead spider and a bunch of dirt and that's it. So let's be a little more careful with that. That's something I wish more people would do some more research on. And when you hear people that are ordering from places, don't jump all over them, but give them some hardcore examples. Nothing a lot of times what I do is I have a folder of all the bad reviews and stuff and some of the stories from backwater reptiles. And when people ask about them, I give my two cents. I abhor them and I don't sugarcoat it at all. I was actually in a pet store once where somebody talked about, yeah, I bought from backwater reptiles and I normally don't do this. And I was like in that, like, yeah, that place is a total scam. It's disgusting. Labeled up, you know, rattled off all the things. And the person that the guy was talking to ended up coming over to me and he's like, can you think of some better places I could order from? Like, I sure can. So let's make sure that we do our research as far as, you know, who we order from, find somebody reputable. Don't worry so much about the price. I know it can get expensive, but this is one you don't want to cut corners. It's like tattoos. I can't tell you how many people will come out and they'll go, yeah, I got this tattoo. It was only 50 bucks. And I look at it and it looks like it was drawn with a Sharpie. Like, you got what you paid for. It's the same thing with spiders. You want to make sure you have a good relationship with your vendor, that they care about the animals, they have a good lag, they ship legally, and that they're responsive. Those are things you want to look for. And it's very easy. Go online, you'll find a bunch of different people you can use and do not order from 
backwater reptiles. That's my public service announcement for today. I wish we could do a G.I. Joe thing of that. So anyway, for the last one for this one, because it's getting kind of long, although I guess people, the funny thing is I can't stand listening to myself speak. Billy will listen to my podcast and I cringe. Like every time I post it up, she goes, it's adorable. She'll listen to the thing and I'm like in the other room, like embarrassed sweating because I can't stand listening to myself speak. But I'm getting all these people lately, like, yeah, I'm stuck at home. If you want to run over, like do an hour long one. Somebody said they they should be two hours long. It's never going to get that long. I don't have that much to talk about in one sitting. Plus, I'd end up losing my voice. But anyway, it's getting a little long in the tooth here. So we're going to move on to the last one that kind of encompasses all of these. And this would be when I answered this person back that asked this comment on YouTube. This is the one I went with because all the rest of them fall neatly under it. Please do your research. The biggest issue, the biggest complaint I have, the biggest frustration I face is folks who don't bother doing any research about these animals beforehand. They pick one up and they end up with an animal kept improperly because they didn't bother to do even a cursory amount of research. That's that's bothersome to me. That really perturbs me. And it happens a lot. And it's... <sighs> Again, it's one of the few that jack me up only because I'll give you an example of one that I, an email I got about a month ago. The person came on talking about how they love my channel, love Thomas Big Spiders. They got all this information from it. And then they were talking about how they purchased a female. It was like a three-inch female, sex female, C. cyanio pubicins. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with her. She's not eat. She's all scrunched up in the corner of your enclosure. And I don't understand what I did wrong. Could you please look at some pictures? So I'm like, sure. Could you please send some pictures? I'll take a look at it and we'll go through it. What he had it in, it was an arboreal enclosure, a large arboreal, arboreal enclosure. The It had plants in it. It had substrate was soaked. The plants were soaked. The background was soaked. Huge water dish. And the poor spider was scrunched up in the top corner with it webbed up in the corner and wasn't coming down to eat because the enclosure was completely wrong for it. So I was trying to be tactful and I was like, man, this really isn't the right enclosure setup. Did you, you know, they, they need it dry. And the guy was clueless. He's like, oh, I thought this was an arboreal species and they all need it wet. Tarantulas all need it wet. So I've been misting twice a day to make sure it doesn't dry out. He had done zero research. It was blatantly obvious. And, and the part that really kills me is when they're like, hey, I love your channel. I love... So apparently you haven't watched or read anything I've done because I've done care guides on GBBs. It doesn't take much to find them. You didn't read them. You didn't look at them. So that is a big one for me. And where it really where it really becomes an issue is when people go out, buy the animal, and then I get an email with the animal incorrectly set up. Hey, I just picked this up. Can you tell me if this setup's correct? And a lot of times it's not correct. And it's like stuff that a 10 minute search on Google. If you found my site, you're emailing me. So you know, I exist. All you would have to do is go to my website and put in that species name in the search bar and you'll get my notes on it. And, or don't listen to me. There are a lot of people out there that are doing good husbandry guys on these things. Go on to YouTube, put it in. You'll get some good stuff. I, I just don't get it. And that's, so that's the big one for me is we're not even talking about all the stuff we've talked about before. I mean, if you do proper research, all this stuff's going to come up and you're going to find it. You're going to find the not worry about humidity ranges or, you know, the temperatures or the, the burrowing, all that stuff you're going to find. But even to not do just some cursory 
research on the particular species you're planning on getting, that one really bothers me. To buy an animal and then afterwards, when you've got it in your possession, try to figure out how it needs to be kept. And sadly, you can find this in YouTube videos. I can't tell you how many people do unboxings and they take their animals out and they drop them in the new enclosure. And then you look at the comments of people like, um, excuse me, I don't know if you know this or not, but that species needs moist substrate. Or, hey, that species needs enough room to burrow. Or, hey, that's an arboreal species and you have it in a terrestrial setup. It's like they just pick it up and they throw it in an enclosure and it's a novelty and they don't bother to do any research on it. They're living animals. You wouldn't do that with adult. Well, sadly, people would. But that's my number one biggest issue. And if we distilled it down to just one little thing, before you pick up any species, know how to care for it. Any species whatsoever. Reach out to people. People reach out to me all the time. That's totally fine. The ones that get to me and the ones where I get a little bit frustrated and, and there's been ones where I've gotten angry only because it's like the lack of regard these people show for these animals is really pretty despicable. They pick it up, they put it in the wrong enclosure, and I get the, well, it'll be fine for now until I get something else. Well, no, it won't. That's not good. If I sit there and drop you into a place that's 120 degrees and naked with no food, no water, and just go, well, it'll have to do until we can get something better for you, I don't think you'd be okay with that. I'm not sure where that analogy came from, but, you know, it's the end of the podcast. We're getting a little loopy. So, People need to do the research on species. There are some, like, I can go out, and I think once you've been in the hobby for a while, you know where to look for information. It's very quick. I can go out and find a new species. I know exactly where to look for my information. I know exactly which sources to go to, where to look, if to figure out if it's arboreal, if it's terrestrial, if it's fossorial, if it needs moisture, if, you know, I, it's, I can do this very quickly, but I will still do my research beforehand. And a lot of you have probably gotten to the point where you can go on and you can make almost like a spur of the moment purchase of a spider, but you know quickly where to go to find the information to set it up correctly. That's a little different. That comes with some experience. That comes with some time in the hobby. But for somebody that's brand new to the hobby, just going out and going, hey, I'm going to buy a spider today. I'm going to buy this GBB. I guess it'll need lots of water. So I'm going to set it up like an arboreal with a lot of plants and a lot of water and moist substrate. No, there's no excuse for that. So that would be the biggest one. If And again, it's not a list, but if we had to do a number one, that's number one for me because all the rest of them fall under that umbrella. Now, that's going to be it for this one for now because we're we nearing the one hour mark. I've been trying to make these a little longer because I know people are home and bored and hopefully you guys don't mind the, you know, the extra long runtime and listening to me meander on for oh, even longer. But that should about do it for this one. So anyway, please feel free to chime in on the Facebook page with some of the other beginner boo-boos that people make or whatever beginner missteps whatever you want to call it and we could always this would be one i'd love to revisit and then package up maybe eventually and put an article up and finish that article i mean these were the ones i had in the article and at the time these were the most relevant and it hasn't changed much since then so feel free to to put some other stuff some other suggestions on there and we can go through them because i do think it's an interesting topic and it would be neat to have them all in one place for people that are just getting into the hobby so they can avoid some of these pitfalls and not make the same mistakes that many of us made and again as far as the only one that i haven't done i love research so that wasn't a problem for me i, I did a lot of research and this isn't a patting yourself on the back thing this is what i enjoy doing so when i get into something i do 
as much research as I can. I want to learn everything about it. I want to learn the vocabulary, the jargon, the, you know, the ins and outs. So that's, I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff. So it, it's easy for me because it's something that I enjoy doing. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people out there probably agree that's a fun part of the hobby. So I don't want to sound like I'm being judgmental at all, but that is the one that I did. And it saved me a lot of pitfalls. And I will say, or from a lot of those pitfalls, and I will say, even doing the research, there were still some of these things in here that I mentioned, like the burrowing that I kind of had to experience to get into my head that it was okay. So anyway, enough talking. I'm going to rest my voice. Billy's just texted me where they've, she's in stop and shop now and they have lines or arrows drawn on the floor because you have a certain path you have to go through the store now, like amazed to make sure that you're not interacting with any other people. Crazy times, guys. So again, I hope everyone is doing well. I hope everybody's safe and healthy. As always, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, you guys all stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, I'm meandering again. We haven't done this in a while. I completely forgot what the heck my my close off, my sign off phrase was. We're just gonna leave this in here. You know, normally, I'd edit this out, but who cares? This is what happens when you talk to yourself for an hour. So, anyway, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch you all next time.